And welcome back to another exciting episode of Head Speaks. This episode, Head will talk about Avengers Age of Ultron and Batman The Killing Joke, plus a few other items. But before he gets to that, he has to get to this. Aw, yeah. Aww, yeah. Uh, 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 feels good. Feels good. Hello, greetings, and hi there. This is the Head Speaks Podcast, a proud member of the HeadCast family. I am your host, Aaron Moss, also known as Brother Head. Welcome to Head Speaks, where I'll be talking about comics, movies, and recent news items that interest me. Basically, anything that strikes my fancy. Warning! Warning! This podcast may not be family-friendly. Head Speaks may contain adult language, adult content, fantasy violence, and nudity. You have been warned. The young, stupid, and easily offended may not want to listen to this headcast. In other words, parental guidance is more than suggested. Now, before we get started today, let's hear a word from a friend of the show. We'll return after these messages. The Ultraverse Network begins now. Over 20 years ago, Malibu Comics debuted the Ultraverse. It may not have lasted long, but the creativity and quality of its titles and creators caught many readers' imaginations when it first appeared and in the years since. This network of fans celebrates the fun and excitement of the Ultraverse and its awesome writers, artists, and characters. Featuring three ongoing podcasts covering a variety of topics, including Nightman and Solitaire, our blog will feature regular coverage of The Strangers, Sludge, Firearm, Ultraforce, and all your other favorites. Look for Ultraverse Network on iTunes and visit our website at ultraversepodcast.com. We are giving Ultraverse fandom a jumpstart. Hi, I'm Gene Hendricks. You may remember me from such shows as The Hammer Podcasts and The Quantum Cast. I'd like to tell you about some special shows that I'm doing with some of your favorite podcasters. These shows are all about the live-action versions of comic book characters, and I'm calling them... Legends of the Superheroes! In each episode, we'll be looking at a different TV show or movie featuring characters like... Wonder Woman! Dr. David Banner. And let's not forget about the non-superheroes, such as... Swamp Thing! Captain William Buck Rogers. And many more. Look for the Legends of the Superheroes specials under the Hammer Podcasts at twotruefreaks.com. And now back to our show. Well, as you can see, I, I am now starting the show with a little intro of what's going to be happening to this episode. And I've also got my commercial breaks. Uh, let me know what you guys think about that. So let's go ahead and get started with our first segment. Here is... episode, we're going to talk about a little movie that just came out. It's called Avengers, The Age of Ultron. It was released in the United States on May 1st, 2015. 
It runs 141 minutes long. Distributed by the Walt Disney Studios. Production company is Marvel Studios. And directed by Josh Whedon. Produced by Kevin Feige. Written by Josh Whedon. Starring Robert Downey Jr., Chris Hemsworth, Hemsworth Mark Ruffulio, Chris Evans, Scarlett Johansson, Jeremy Renner, Don Cheadle, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, Elizabeth Olsen, Paul Bettany, or is that Beltney? Beltney. Sorry about that, Paul. Paul Beltney, Colby Smutters, Smolders, having a th- problem with else today, kids. Anthony Mackie, Haley Atwell, Idaris Elba, Stellan Skarsgård, James Spader, and Samuel L. Jackson. Dun, 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 dun. So I'm going to go ahead and remove the mo- review the movie and give you the plot points as I go along and give you my little thoughts on it. Uh, and when I'm done, I'll give you a total critique and tell you what I think about the movie. Warning! Warning! Spoilers! We start off in the Eastern European country of Scovia, where the Avengers raid a Hydra outpost led by Baron Wolfgang von Strucker. Who, kids, was from the comics. I like that. Uh, he, he, anyways, uh, Baron von Strucker has been experimenting on humans using the Loki Pokey Stick, blasting in Avengers. Actually, it may show up in Thor 2, but that movie's kind of, I don't know, wasn't my favorite. Anyways, so he's, uh, Baron von Strucker's got the Loki Pokey Stick. Uh, they're... The Avengers, while they're attacking, let me talk a little bit about that first. So the Avengers, uh, again, before I go any further, today's section will contain massive spoilers for Avengers Age Ultron. If you have not seen it yet, you may want to skip out for a little while. Uh, come back when you've seen the movie. If you're going to see it, if you have not, sit back and I'm going to tell you a little tale. Anyway, so the Avengers attack... Uh, Von Strucker's retreat, if you will, his castle. And it starts off with the Avengers attacking the Hydra agents and them showing a little bit of their abilities. And there's a neat scene where they're all leaping out, basically, at the bad guys. A great visual scene. I thought it was fantastic. Anyway, so they attack. It's a neat little battle, run, run, fight, fight. And while they're fighting, they meet two of Strucker's experiments. Uh, they're twins. There's Pietro, who has superhuman speed, and Wanda Maximoff, who can manipulate minds and project energy. So they fight, and they're able to capture Von Strucker, and Tony's able to get the staff, or the scepter. Um... I like the way they did, uh, again, this is the second time we've seen uh, Pietro, otherwise known as Quicksilver. He had first played by a different actor, appeared in the X-Men Days of Future Past movie. Uh, again, a little story behind that. Uh, again, Fox, I believe it was, has the rights to the cinematic of Mutants, Magneto, everything related to that. But since the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver were also members of the Avengers, Marvel can use them. But due to their licensing deal with uh, Fox, I believe it's Fox Studios, Fox or Sony, whoever, I think it's Fox. Anyways, due to their licensing agreement with Fox, um, again, both studios can use Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, but Marvel Studios cannot reference mutant powers or 
their father being Magneto. So in the Marvel Universe, the twins, uh, Pietro Maximoff and Wanda Maximoff, are uh, they're humans that's been experimented on. And so Peter or Pietro has the power of speed, and Wanda in this universe can manipulate minds and project energy. In the regular comics, again, Pietro, Quicksilver, has super speed, and Wanda has, uh, she's a witch. She has probability. She can cast spells to make whatever she wants almost happen. Uh, she's very powerful, more powerful than the show in the movie, but I, I don't mind that change. It's interesting. It's an interesting dynamic. Again, I know they'd want to bring her powers down from almost anything he wants to do to something a little more tangible, a little more manageable. So here again, here they give her the powers to manipulate minds and project energy. I thought that was very good. Uh, again, I'm liking how the movie starts out. Uh, it's great score. It's great, great acting. Uh, I mean, not a lot of acting. There's some acting. It's just a big, huge fight scene, which is great. They're using their powers. Uh, when uh, Pietro comes across Hawkeye, he knocks him over, and uh, you know he keeps taking his arrows out of the air, and he makes a comment here along these lines of, "Bet, uh, bet you didn't expect that," or something along those lines. I mention that now because it comes back later on, kind of like a full circle type of thing. It's interesting. Anyways, so they do a little fight, fight here. Uh, the twins get away, but the Avengers capture the Loki Pokey Stick, and Von Strucker. Uh, meanwhile, Tony Stark and Bruce Banner discover an artificial intelligence within the, gems, the Spectre's gem, and they secretly use it to complete Tony's defense program called Ultron. Ultron's a uh, defense program that Tony's trying to create to uh, take the place of the Avengers so the Avengers can relax and actually have a life. This will watch out for worldwide threats. Uh, again, when the Chari, if they return, if the Ultron program, program works, it'll take out the, the uh, aliens before humans have to worry about it. So it's, it's basically Ultron's trying, being created to be Earth's defense and save the Earth. Uh, so anyways, so they leave the program running. It, somehow Ultron gains its own sentience, if you will. It becomes alive. And he believes the only way to save the Earth is to kill all the humans. Because the humans are destroying the Earth, basically. Uh, as he comes to life and comes to this conclusion, he stops Jarvis, the, the computer, from alerting Tony of what's going on. And so he kills Jarvis. I'm doing kills in air quotes since Jarvis is a computer program. It's hard to kill him. Um, again, the, Ultron was voiced by uh, James Spader. I thought Mr. Spader did an excellent job as Ultron. I thought the voice was pretty good. You know, he, he does a good villain voice, so I like that. Uh, so after he takes out Jarvis, he attacks the Avengers at their headquarters. He brings a bunch of uh, Tony Stark's uh, robots, after what they're called right offhand. Tony has a bunch of robots to help. He was using to help, you know, crowd control and things like that. He brings these robots out to attack the Avengers. The Avengers stop them, and they find out that they're up against... The rest of the Avengers find out they're up against Tony and uh, Bruce's secret project, Ultron, 
which kind of puts a fission in the group. They're pissed off that Tony was working on the secret behind their back. As they go to investigate further in the lab, they find out that supposedly Jar uh, Ultron killed one person before he came out and attacked Avengers. They're like, well, there's no one else here. Who could he have killed? And Tony realizes that Jarvis was killed by Ultron. Uh, as Ultron escapes, like I say, he's got a bunch of his, the robots attacking. He's able to escape with the Loki. Try that again. He's able to escape with the Loki Pokey stick. And uh, he takes off to Strucker's base in Slokovia, where he builds he, uh, he builds himself a rudimentary body and an army of Ultron robots. While he, when he goes to the Strucker's base, he ends up finding Strucker and he kills him, and he recruits the tri recruits the twins. To help him destroy the Avengers because they hold Stark responsible for their parents' death. Because I believe Stark, it was Stark weaponry that ended up killing his, their parents. Uh, together, the three of them go to an arm, the base of an arms dealer called Ulysses Claw in the Wakandian. Sh in a Waka Wakandian? Well, I'll try this, try this three times fast. I can't say it once. So they go to the army base of an army arms dealer named Ulysses Claw in a Wakandian shipyard to obtain vibranium. Uh, just a little side note here, Ulysses Claw, he is uh, from Marvel Comics also. He becomes a supervillain that fights the Black Panther a lot, fights the Avengers. Uh, he, he is a, a kind of an arms dealer, hunter, or something like that, that has dealings with Wakanda, which is where the Black Panther's from. In the comic, one of his arms was missing, and he's got like a sonic device on there. And eventually, I believe he, he becomes totally sonic. But to start off with, he's got a sonic device on one arm. I say that, say this, that while they're fighting, uh, I believe it was actually, I believe, um, Ultron, if I'm not mistaken, cuts off one of Ulysses' arms. Which, I don't know, to me, it may be kind of setting him up to become Claw in the future. So, which is really cool. Again, vibranium is what Captain America's shield's made of. So, uh, Ultron's trying to get some more of the vibranium that Captain America's shield's made it from. The Avengers pursue them, but Wanda stops the heroes with some visions she create, makes them have. And she makes the Hulk go on a rampage, destroying things in the city until Tony Stark stops him with his Hulkbuster armor. And again, I'll talk about this a little bit. Uh, a magnificent scene. Again, some more city destruction. I've said before, I'm not a big fan of mass destruction. But this is a really great fight. It's the Incredible Hulk with Tony Stark in his Hulkbuster suit. It's a big, bulky armor that's strong enough to take on the Hulk. It's just a great fight scene. I definitely recommend this fight scene. Uh, it's destruction on, you know, just total great visual. The CGI was on it was fantastic. Uh, definitely a good fight. Uh, they finally are able to subdue the Hulk. Tony's, you know, Tony's able to finally stop him, knock him out. Next, we see they're on the Quinjet 
flying away. And we find out that the whole, entire world is afraid of the Hulk now because of what he did. Because he just went berserk, was killing people. And if it wasn't for Tony, he could have caused a lot more damage. So the Avengers go hiding at Hawkeye's safe house. I'm calling it a safe house, but it's actually his home, like up in the woods, where we find out that Hawkeye has a wife and some kids. And actually the wife's pregnant with another kid. Secret side of Hawkeye. Um, I know the wife, my wife liked that part. She kind of humanizes him and makes, makes it seem more real. I didn't mind it. My only problem is, again, I'm an old school, hardcore comic geek. Hawkeye's supposed to show up in the, uh, in my opinion, in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show, so him and Bobby could hook up. Bobby Morse, a.k.a. Hawking, uh, uh, Mockingbird, Mockingbird on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. In the comics, her and Clint have a, a little romance, end up getting married. <sighs> I understand this, if you haven't read the comics, I mean... They don't have to stick to that, but me personally, I, I like the fact that Hawkeye and Mockingbird were a long, you know, an item for a long time. But, like I said, it, it's a nice little, you know, we see a little bit of Hawkeye's home life. He says there's something that Fury uh, set up for the Avengers, or for Hawkeye, to, before he joined everything, before he joined S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, Fury set him up with his home life, away from everything, so he has something to get away from his work problems, if you will. Meanwhile, Thor takes off to talk with Dr. Eric Selvig, or as my wife calls him, uh, Tesseract Joe. Before we went and saw the movie, I was relating to her, you know, because she hadn't seen Avengers yet. Uh, she's not a big Thor fan. So I was relating to her what happened with in the Avengers, and... When I first started talking about Eric, I couldn't remember his name offhand for some reason. And I'm like, this older guy, uh, he was in Thor, he's working on the Tesseract. My wife calls him Tesseract Joe. So the name stuck with us. So whenever we talk about Dr. Eric Selvig, we call him Tesseract Joe. Kind of a little funny thing. Anyways, so Thor goes to talk with Tesseract Joe about the meaning of the apocalyptic future he saw in his association that Wanda caused. And... There's some magic water he has to get into that's going to give him more visions. I don't quite understand where that water came from. This is the first time I'm hearing about it. Maybe I missed something previously. If you guys can shed any light on this, feel free to let me know. Maybe I missed something. But anyways, meanwhile, Black Widow and Bruce Banner, they're talking about taking off together because they realize they actually have affection towards each other. Which is another good point because when they first come to Hawkeye's house... They meet his wife. Well, I guess Natasha, the Black Widow, knows Hawkeye's wife. But she meets Bruce, and uh, Hawkeye, Clint, and his wife are off talking a little bit later. And she, so she's like, how long has this been going on between Wanda and Bruce? And Clint's like, well, what are you talking about? And he's like, you're kidding? You don't realize that they like each other? You know, explain a little scene there that, you know, his ordinary normal wife caught up Again, a woman. She picked up on the feelings that are there, but they weren't expressed between Bruce and Black Widow. Uh, anyways, but they, the two of them finally realized that they have a thing for each other. So they're talking about that they yeah, they want to take off together, and they uh, they want to leave this whole 
avenging thing in the past and become just ordinary people if they can. Uh, then Fury arrives, and they get the team forming a plan to stop Ultron. He gets motivated, and they come with a plan to stop uh, Ultron. Meanwhile, in Seoul, Ultron forces the team's friend, Dr. Helen Cho, to use some th synthetic tissue technologies she created. Uh, she, We saw this earlier. Hawkeye, again, when he was fighting uh, Quicksilver, he got shot with a blast and a hurt him pretty bad. She used her technology to heal him, and it's synthetic, synthetic flesh. You can't tell the difference between that and normal flesh, supposedly. So, uh, Ultron kidnaps Helen, and using the synthetic flesh, synthetic tissue, and the vibranium, and also the Spectre's gem, he perfects a new body form. Um, let me talk a little bit about Ultron real quick. I've mentioned before, I mean, he's the star of the show, if you will. Again, as I said, I really enjoy uh, James Spader playing the voice of Ultron. I thought he did a good job. And Ultron looks, to me, spot on in the comics. I mean, he, you, you can look at him and look at the comic and say, yeah, those are the same character. My only beef, only issue with Ultron is the way they, they have his, his mouth moving. He's At this point, he's made of metal. He's a metallic robot, but his they've got his mouth moving like he actually has lips. It's like it's not, it's flesh and blood or something. It actually moves more than just the way a robot would. I think personally it would look better, if, been better if either, you know, just lit up to show you his talking or if his mouth moved like a robot, like on servos and all that. But it actually looks like flesh the way the mouth moves. I don't want to say it was creepy. It was, it was odd-looking. It was kind of distracting to me, knowing it's supposed to be a metal robots. At this point, he doesn't have the synthetic flesh. It's just a metal robot, but the mouth kind of moves like flesh does. That's my real beef with Ultron. Uh, I don't know whose idea it was to do that. I don't like it, but it is what it is. Uh, back to Ultron. And his new body he's creating. So Ultron starts to upload himself in the body. And as he's doing so, Wanda's able to read his mind finally. Because she can't read the mind of robots. But since he's slowly merging himself into this new body that's kind of human-like, Wanda's able to read his mind and discovers that he plans on exterminating the entire human race. Uh, she alerts her brother to this and they turn on Ultron. Meanwhile, Captain America, the Black Widow, and Hawkeye find Ultron, and they retrieve the synthetic body, but Ultron's able to escape. Let's yeah, try that again. So the twins turn on Ultron. Captain America, Black Widow, and Hawkeye find Ultron, and they retrieve the synthetic body, but upon doing so, Black Widow is captured by Ultron and taken to his uh, lair, if you will. Anyway, so the Avengers fight amongst themselves. Again, as I was telling you earlier, they're, they're upset about basically Tony causing all this by, in secret, creating Ultron. And while they're fighting, Tony is slowly trying to secretly upload Jarvis, who he's found is still operational, 
into the synthetic Ultron body. They realize what's going on. They try to stop him from doing so. About this point, uh, Thor returns back to the Avengers, and he uses lightning to activate the body and bring it to life, if you will. He explains to the Avengers that the gem that's on its brow is one of the six affinity stones, which is the most powerful objects in existence. And his vision told him that they're going to need this, this creature, if you will, this new person, to help them in their battle. Real quick about the Affinity Stones. So far, they've shown us four Infinity Stones in these Marvel movies. Uh, there's the Tesseract. It contains one. In fact, during this little sequence here, they show all four of them. Uh, the Tesseract from the first Avengers movie and from the first Captain America movie. Uh, that's one of the Infinity Stones. The Ether from the second Thor movie is an Infinity Stone. Uh... The one, there was that gem in the Guardians of the Galaxy. That was an Affinity Stone. And then the Loki Pokey Stick, this, the gem inside of that, that Loki had in Avengers, and that we've got here. That's the fourth Affinity Stone. So there's two more that's going to show up in the future. Again, quick little uh, spoiler, I guess. The next two Avengers movies is going to be a part one and part two. It's called the Infinity War. So I'm assuming the other two stones are going to show up before then or in that first movie. Uh, that's another story entirely. Wait another couple years for that one. Uh, so this new being who calls himself Vision and the twins accompany the Avengers to Slokovia, where Ultron has used the remaining vibranium to build a machine to lift a large part of the capital city skyward, intending to crash it to the ground to cause global extinction. Let me stop here real quick and talk about the vision. Oh my god. The vision looked fantastic. I mean, he wasn't a perfect duplicate from the comic, but it was pretty damn close. It was the vision from the comic made real, if you will. I, I really love the vision. Uh, I, I think vision's a good character. I mean, he's not one of my top five or ten, no, but I enjoy the vision. Uh, I know back when I read the Avengers back in the 90s, there was a lot of vision stories. There was a story where they took them all apart, put them back together. The government tried taking them out. Uh, that was when him and Wanda, the Scarlet Witch, and the spoiler warning for the comics for a 20, 30-year-old story, maybe more. In the comics, Wanda, the Scarlet Witch, and the vision in getting married. Uh, she caused herself to get pregnant with twins. Uh, interesting storyline. If you get a chance, go through and read some of these old Marvel comics. They're great stories, in my opinion. Uh, most of them take place in the Avengers or the Avengers West Coast or West Coast Avengers. Um, they may take place in some other series also here and there, but that's where a majority of the stuff takes place, if I'm not mistaken. But I thought Vision looked fantastic. Uh, he, like I said, he even had the gem that he has on his head. In the comic, the gem on his head is not one of the Affinity Stones. It's just some solar-powered gem that helps power him, and he can shoot lightning blasts from not lightning, but an energy blast from. But I, I like the idea of incorporating the one of the affinity gems into Vision's body and creation. I'm just a little worried about what's going to happen in the Infinity War if that stone comes out and is used later on. We'll get to that here at the end of the movie. I'll talk more about that. But I thought the Vision was fantastic. I love seeing him. Again, I enjoyed Wanda and Peter, Pietro, but I thought 
the vision was fantastic. I love seeing the vision. Uh, he flies. He shoots solar uh, energy beams out. Uh, one thing I did see him you go intangible, which is one of his powers, and shove his hand over Robot's chest. It was fantastic. Uh, that's where I'm getting at to this point. Um, the Avengers, they fight Ultron's army, while Fury arrives with a helicarrier and Maria Hill, James Rhodes, a.k.a. War Machine, and S.H.I.E.L.D. agents to help evacuate civilians. Also, uh, Banner is able to find and rescue Black Widow, who awakens the Hulk for the battle. So we got the entire Avengers battling Ultron and his army of robots. And on the Avengers side, we have the Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, and the Vision. It's a great battle scene. I love seeing the Vision in battle. Um, the way I'm talking about, you think he's a bigger, I'm a bigger fan of him than I really is, but I, I do like the Vision. I do like the way he showed up. It was a great scene. A great battle. Uh, fantastic. Um, so the Avengers are getting all the civilians out of the town onto the helicarrier. Uh, and while they're fighting, uh, Pietro shields Hawkeye from some gunfire and gets full of bullets himself. And falls to the ground and dies. Wanda realizes this because they're you know, twins are tied together. She abandons her post to destroy, tries to destroy Ultron's primary body, which allows one of his clones to activate the machine, which causes the going to cause the uh, chunk of Earth to fall back down to the planet and cause a lot of destruction. Uh, the city plummets, but Stark and Thor overload the machine, and they cause the landmass to shatter. Uh, in the aftermath, the Hulk takes off in the Quinjet while the Vision confronts Ultron's last remaining body and destroys it. Neat scene there. I enjoyed that. Uh, finally, we get to the end of the movie. Uh, the Avengers being established... Let me see. We get to the end of the movie. The Avengers establishing a new base ran by Nick Fury with Maria Hill, Dr. Cho, and Tesseract Joe <laughs> uh, as part of some of their support, if you will. We see Thor returning to Asgard to learn more about the forces he suspects that may have manipulated recent events. Tony and Hawkeye leave. Captain America and Black Widow prepare to train a new group of Avengers, which consists of War Machine, The Vision, Falcon, and Wanda, a.k.a. the Scarlet Witch. I love the scene, that scene at the end. It was a fantastic scene there where they're, you know, we see the new Avengers lining up. And then in our mid they do the main credits of the main cast. And before they start the main credits, we get our only post-credit scene, or mid-credit scene this time. We see Thanos, last shown Guardians of the Galaxy and Avengers, dissatisfied by the failures of his pawns, picks up a gauntlet and vows to personally retrieve the Infinity Stones. A couple more little geek points here. Uh, Thanos is big in the comics with the Infinity Stones, and the gauntlet that he has here is what's known as the Infinity Gauntlet. This Infinity Gauntlet is able to hold the stones, and it's able to use the stones' powers to uh, do whatever he wants. It's a really great. I mean, there's been a lot of great stories with it. Been some other stories I haven't read yet, but especially back in the '90s, really big with the Infinity Stones, the Infinity Gauntlets. 
definitely check, recommend checking out some of the Infinity Gauntlet stories they've had out in the past. But I love seeing Thanos pick up the glove. Only a little side note that I, I thought, but I didn't really think much about it. But a coworker pointed out back in, I believe it was the first Thor movie, inside of Ocean Treasure Room, there was another Infinity Gauntlet. And it may have had the stones. I've got to go back and look and see. So the question is, is the same the same Infinity Gauntlets? Or is there two of them? And if there is only one, how did this one, if this is the same one, how did it get out? Again, spoilers for the last Thor movie. Uh, we do know that Loki is impersonating Odin right now, as of that movie. So did Loki get the gauntlet for Thor? Uh, Thanos, or is this just an error with the movie? They threw the gauntlet in the first one and said, it's a little neat little, you know, interesting thing for the kids to check out. Not realizing they're going to be, it was going to play a bigger part later on. I don't know. But it's kind of neat. I like the Infinity Gauntlets. Um, like I said, I like seeing the new Avengers, as I said. Uh, my only real problem with the last fight scene where they were trying to stop the, the landmass from coming down, destroying everything, uh, I wish Falcon would have shown up. Uh, he may have been busy with some other stuff, I don't know, but uh, War Machine showed up and helped out. I just wish Falcon could have played a bigger part. But he is now part of the Avengers, so maybe he'll show up more in the next movie. I guess he is supposed to show up in the next, uh, the next movie's Iron Ant-Man. But here down the road, they're supposed to have Captain America Civil War. I believe the, uh, Falcon's supposed to show up in that. Uh, so we'll see. And kids, so you're not sitting there at the theater for no reason. Uh, after they show Thanos and the Infinity Gauntlets, there is no mid-credits mid, uh, scene like there usually is. They've only got the one scene in it. There's no mid-credits. There's no end-credits scene, apparently. So you might well go home. But anyways, that's the Avengers Age of Ultron. And now for the rest of my thoughts on Avengers Age of Ultron. Um, a couple of things I want to comment. One thing that I really enjoyed was near the beginning of the movie when the, uh, the Avengers are fighting Hydra. There's a scene where uh, there's a bunch of Hydra agents coming at him and Thor takes his hammer and smacks it on Captain America's shield and lets out a, a, a sonic boom or something that knocks everyone down. That was great. Uh, some other things that are good and not so good uh, about the movie. I've touched on some of these briefly. I'll go in a little bit more detail here. Uh, first of all, Stark, as I said earlier, he uh, basically created the vision. I'm making air quotes there. You can't see it. Uh, after the whole Ultron thing, the Avengers are mad at him. And then he continues to try to create his... Uh, program, his peacekeeping robot, whatever, behind everyone else's back after they're already mad at him for doing things behind their back when the vision's created. Uh, it's just a matter of Tony Stark not learning him being, you know, Tony Stark, I don't know. Uh, it is very Tony Stark of him to do things what he wants, but uh, again, just a little thing I wanted to point out. Some of those I wanted to address was uh, the Black Widow and the Incredible Hulk's relationship in this movie. Uh, apparently, as I said earlier, they've got some sort of thing going on. Uh, Hawkeye's wife seemed to notice it right away. Uh, 
I'm not going to say it wasn't there in any of the other movies, but I didn't really see it. If the Incredible Hulk is, that movie is still a part of this continuity. I mean, he came back because he was in love with Betty Ross. He wanted Betty. He came back for her. We're not sure what happened to Betty after that. She just went MIA. They haven't really mentioned her again. Now the Hulk, or I'm sorry, the Hulk. Now Bruce Banner has a thing for Black Widow. I don't know if I like that or not. I mean, for one, I mean, the main reason I don't like it, I guess, is because it's coming from out of left field. I, again, maybe I'm wrong, but I haven't really seen anything in the previous movies that would lead up to this that would say, you know, hey, these two are an item, uh, or they have feelings for one another. It just came out of the came out of the blue, so I don't know. Uh, which also leads me into also. Previously, it seemed like maybe Blackwood on Hawkeye had some sort of previous relationship, but now we find out Hawkeye, Hawkeye's married. He's been married for a while because he's got some uh, older kids. So, again, I don't know if a lot of this relationships, relationship stuff is coming out of the blue, if they're making it up for this movie or what. I, I didn't see a lot of this. And I, I saw different things in the previous movies. Again, I don't know what you guys think. That's what I'm seeing. I talked briefly about the Thor uh, and uh, Tesseract Joe going down to that pool where Thor got more of a vision about what was to come. Again, I didn't quite understand. I mean, I understood what was going on, but again, that pool, that whole... I don't know if there's maybe something on the cutting room floor that we've missed or what, but that whole thing seemed to come out of the blue that was never mentioned before. It was just uh, a magic... And again, it's magic, so... And that's one problem a lot of people have with magic. You can do anything and show up at any time. Uh, again, I, I'm not quite sure about that scene. It was an okay scene, but again, just came out of nowhere, this mysterious pool we never heard of before. And you know, we'll probably never hear from it again. So I guess I'll just let it go, because again, I'll probably never hear from it again. It's no longer there. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, that was a little odd. Also, this uh, next couple points I have here is uh, the end of Iron Man 3, Tony Stark blew up all of his armors, pulled the arc reactor out of his chest, and, you know, he, he seemed like he was quitting me in Iron Man, and then without explanation, he's back. He's got several different armors still. Why blow up all of his armors, this big dramatic scene at the end of Iron Man, if he still has armors left or he made new ones? Again, I don't know, maybe that movie should have happened after this one, or where that ties in exactly. Uh, but, I mean, which kind of ties in my next point, that none of the Wave 2 movies really seems to tie into the Avengers as much as the Wave 1 did. Uh, the Phase 1 movies, they all kind of seem to be heading towards Avengers. They all seem to accumulate in Avengers. Whereas the Wave 2 movies, or Phase 2 movies, they seem to be setting up for maybe Civil War and uh, Infinity War, which is a Wave 3. Which, again, is not a bad thing, but again, if you're going and expecting everything, it all matters. If you expect it all to go into one thing to lead to Avengers, Age of Ultron, you're going to be disappointed. I honestly don't think, except for maybe Captain America 2... I don't know if you actually need to watch any of the other Phase 2 movies to make sense of Age of Ultron. Again, not necessarily a bad thing, it's just a comment. Um, again, 
other complaint I have about it is the speed in which Ultron was created uh, and decided he wanted to take over the world. I liked it. A lot of what I know about it, though, came from knowing the comics and knowing how the creator is, the, com the uh, character is in the comic. So I'm not sure how much of what I know about and what I'm pulling into this comes from the actual comic and how much is actually there was actually shown on the screen. Uh, looking back, I, I think they skipped a lot of, and again, they only had two hours or whatever to do this, so they had to shortcut and had a lot of characters introduced. But I think they may have sped through Ultron and become the, uh, the villain that he is for simplicity's sake. I think it would have been better if they would have maybe taken some characters out and expanded Ultron a little bit more to make him a little more... explain a little more why he's uh, wanting to destroy humanity. I mean, I know, but then again, a lot of what I know is from the comics. I'm not sure much is actually shown on the screen and how much I'm just implying and inputting in this movie, so I don't know. You guys let me know. And I've complained about Ultron's lips. That still bugs me the way he's supposed to be a metal robot, but his lips were moving. But again, I was talking a minute ago about, you know, maybe there's too many characters. That could be another issue with this movie is that they have all the original Avengers, plus if they're the Vision, Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, as new Avengers. They may have wanted to pull out, maybe leave Thor out. I mean, again, I commented earlier about his whole Vision, uh, that water where he took a bath scene to get his Vision. Maybe could have left Thor out and brought in a different character. I don't know. Use my other characters. <sighs> I don't know. It just, it, there was quite a bit of characters, and while normally it's not a bad thing, it can be if if you don't give them the story arc they need, if you characters just show up for a second, and then you don't have time to get back to them. Maybe, maybe need to be a little longer, or to give everyone something to do, or maybe string it back and pull out a few of the characters. Anyways, overall, though, I did enjoy the movie. It is, uh, as I say, one of the better of the way of Phase 3. The other good ones from Phase 3 is Captain America 2 and Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm not sure. I have to think about it a little more. I'm not sure which one's the best out of those. Probably Captain America. But this was a good movie. Much better than Thor 2 and uh, Iron Man 3. But... I do recommend the movie. I do enjoy it. Uh, definitely go check it out. I think it's up there in the top five uh, Marvel movies. Uh, I've got to, I've got to sit down, and think about it a little bit more, and rank them. It's up in the top few, though. It's definitely a great movie. Again, my wife didn't see Avengers. Uh, I briefly explained what happened in it, and she was able to follow along, and she really enjoyed this movie. Also, uh, I've went and seen it twice so far. And each time it was great. Uh, me and my wife and my son went once. And then me and the wife took our daughter uh, this last weekend to watch it. I definitely recommend checking out Avengers Age of Ultron. It's a fantastic movie. A uh, great story. I thought the special effects were really good. Again, my only concern, beef, complaint, whatever with the effects, was the way, the way they did Ultron's mouth moving. Other than that, just a minor little nitpick. Uh, definitely go check it out. Uh, if you've seen it, let me know what you think.
go ahead and send me an email to head at headspeaks.com and let me know what you think about the movie yourself. Am I crazy? Is it great? What do you guys think? Let me know. But that's at the movies with head. After these messages, we'll be right back. I got a bad feeling about this. You'd be feeling a lot better, Han, if you were listening to Dead Boffin Spies, a Star Wars podcast hosted by me, Ryan Daly. That doesn't sound too hard. It's not hard. You just check out Dead Boffin Spies on iTunes, Facebook, or the blog page, deadboffinspies.blogspot.com. Don't be too proud of this technological terror you've constructed. Well, I, I don't know if terror is an appropriate description. It's a podcast that combines everything you love about me talking and some of what you love about Star Wars. I want to learn the ways of the Force and become a Jedi like my father. Fine, whatever. Do that after you listen to Dead Boffin Spies. Yoda. You seek Yoda! No, you seek Dead Boffin Spies, a Star Wars podcast. Check it out. It beats kissing a Wookiee, I would think. <laughs> Hello, I'm Albie. And I'm Heather. And we do the Quantum Leap Podcast. It can be found at quantumleappodcast.com and also on iTunes. We are starting at the beginning of Quantum Leap and going through all the episodes. This is my first time watching and Albie has seen them during their original run. In each podcast, we talk about the overall thoughts of each episode. We do an episode recap if you haven't seen them in a while, just to refresh your memory. And then we do a detailed plot discussion. And we also have some great interviews. Scott Bakula, I remember being very, very uh, generous of spirit and very, very kind to his fellow actors. It was my first kiss ever, ever, so I, I am getting to kiss Scott Bakula on screen. And everybody in, involved with it was just terrific. And I'm always amazed that people come up to me and remember that episode and can quote things from it that I can't even quote. So if you're a leaper, it'd be great if you came and join us. And if you've never heard of Quantum Leap, it's maybe a good time to start watching it because you have a podcast to go along with it. So please give our podcast a listen and hopefully you like us and stick around. Go to quantumleappodcast.com to listen to new episodes. a speeding bullet. Justice League of America versus the Legion of Doom. This is... What's in Head Longbox? Dedicated to truth, justice, and peace for all mankind. The world's greatest super friends. Today on Heads, What's in Head's Longbox, we're going to be talking about 1988's The Killing Joke from DC Comics. The cover date, as I just said, was 1988. But, again, to buy this, 
You'd have to be there on March 29th, 1988. Well, Dubai is the first print. This thing's were printed so many different times. Uh, anyways, the on-sale date was March 29th, 1988, for $3.50 for a 46-page count book. It was written by Alan Moore. Artist was Brian J. Boland. The letter was Richard Starkings. Colorist, John Higgins. Editor, Dennis J. O'Neill. Old Denny O'Neill himself. This was reprinted, besides, as I said, being reprinted several times on its own in that time frame. Uh, it was reprinted in the DC Universe, The Stories of Alan Moore Trade Paperback, in 2006. And also, it was reprinted in Batman the Killing Joke Hardcover in 2008. A brief synopsis. Uh, Batman visits, visits Arkham Asylum and discovers that the Joker has escaped after leaving an imposter in his place. Joker goes to the home of Jim Gordon, where his daughter, Barbara, answers the door and is promptly shot. The Joker then takes off all of her clothes and photographs her naked, bleeding body. He then kidnaps Commissioner Gordon. Barbara is later found by a friend and taken to the hospital, where she is diagnosed with a damaged spine and will be confined to the wheelchair for the rest of her life. Or until the New 52. That's another story entirely. Uh, the Joker takes Commissioner Gordon to a deapolated carnival. He is stripped naked and forced to watch the Joker displays pictures of his daughter. Batman receives a clue from the Joker which leads him to the park. He rescues Jim, who, despite the Joker's best efforts to drive him mad, is still sane. Gordon orders Batman to bring the Joker into custody by the book. The Batman does so and delivers a message that he attempted to do at Arkham. He feels that the conflict with the Joker will result in one or both of them dead. He offers to help the lunatic, but the Joker refuses and is taken back into custody. The end. Now for my thoughts on the issue. Uh, first, we start with the cover. The cover is a close-up of the Joker's face. He's got a huge, a huge smile on his face as normal. He's holding a camera sideways like he's ready to take a picture, and he says, smile. In my opinion, this is a great cover. It's, it's, it's a classic cover. Um, I mentioned earlier that... Uh, there's been several reprints. I looked it up. There was four different reprints. And the main difference you could tell on them was on the front, there's the bottom corner of the title. This is Batman the Killing Joke. Uh, the different reprints had different colorings of the uh, credits there in the title. So that's what you could tell. Besides looking on the inside, on the cover, you could tell by the different colored. And one time I knew the different colors and which printings they were, but I don't remember now. Uh... But again, this is a great cover. It's it's classic. I'll, I'll throw a copy of this on my uh, blog for you to check out. Because, yeah, this is a classic cover. Uh, then we go into the next page. First couple pages showing it's raining. Uh, we see Batman going up to Arkham Asylum in the rain. Gordon, a cop, is standing there watching him. Again, Brian Boland did the art on this. Oh, fantastic art. I've complained on some other podcasts about some of the artwork nowadays. Again, this is from 88. This this was classic Batman. Brian Boland did a fantastic job on this issue. I'm going to say that right now. Uh, I don't know how much I'm going to keep saying this within the issue. I don't want to keep waxing Brian Boland's yacht, as it were. But this is great artwork in this book. I will say that right here, right now. Anyway, so Gordon's handing his cup of coffee to an officer standing with him as Batman goes into Arkham Asylum. Again, it's a silent panel. No words are being spoken. Spoken? 
spoken. In fact, the first few pages is just silent with Batman walking in through Arkham, Gordon following him at a distance. Uh, I mean, again, this is the cops or the guards here, they uh, respect Batman. One of the guards here, as Batman walks up to the cell, he kind of gives Batman a little salute and opens the cage for him. As he goes through, we see Harvey Dent's cell. And then, again, Batman's led into a, uh, a cell. We see a man playing solitaire. And it starts out with a joke. I don't remember. It's been a little while I've read this whole thing. Uh, we'll find out as we go through this. But it starts out with a joke. And it starts out saying, you know, there was these two guys in a lunatic asylum. This is the beginning of the joke. And again, there's no dialogue on this, just that one little caption. Uh, it's a great scene. We haven't seen Batman's face yet. He's either in shadows or, like right now, his back's to us. The Joker's sitting there playing a the solitaire. Uh, he's sitting there in shadows. There's like a spotlight or whatever, a hanging light right above his table, keeping him in shadows. Brian Bullen, you were a master. You were, you were a master at this. This is a fantastic artwork. I don't care what it says. This is. I love this version of Batman. I love this version of the Joker. Brian Bullen is a fantastic artist. I would love to see him draw Firestorm because you know, as you guys said, Firestorm is one of my favorites. Him and the Atom. I would love to see Bullen draw Firestorm and the Atom. That would be perfect. But I digress. Uh, so, back on this panel, like I say, Batman's standing, he's got his hand on track, he's going to pull a chair up and sit down. And then we finally get some dialogue. And this is where Batman, as I said in my uh, synopsis for it, Batman's telling him, you know, this how this is going to end, we're both going to kill each other. And Joker's playing the, the quiet, the silent type here. Just playing his cards, Gordon's looking in the window watching him. And Batman decides instead of, you know, coming in and punching him in his turkey neck, as Kevin Smith is wont to say, he wants to try and talk things out and try to work things out between them and do things rationally. And he grabs the Joker's wrist, and when he pulls his hand away, he's got white makeup on it. And now we see why the Joker's been quiet this entire time and why he's been keeping in the shadows. It's actually another prisoner that the Joker has got to dress up as him. He's got white face paint on. Again, great great artwork. I like this. He's like, Batman, when he finds out what's going on, he's like, where is he? And the criminal's like scared to death. He's like, oh, God, no. And, you know, Gordon rushes in because he hears the, the guy scream, and he doesn't know what's going on yet. He doesn't realize that the Joker's escaped. And he's telling him, you know, you know the laws regarding mystery of inmates. If you arm one hair on his head, and that's when Batman hands him a green wig and says, you know, if you're concerned about it, here, take it, it's yours. Uh, just a great... I don't know, I mean, there's not much... There's a little bit of dialogue, Batman talking, these couple pages, you know trying to come to reason with the Joker and then realizing it's not the Joker is just great artwork. It's a great dialogue. I, I love this scene of Batman when he realizes that what's going on is just that look of anger on his face. 
that's just great. It's, it's a great scene. And then we cut over to the Joker at an amusement park. And, you know, he's, uh, he's looking to buy a carnival from this guy. And, again, we finally get a close-up look at the Joker's face in this book. And, again, Brian Boland is one of the, the definite Joker artists, in my opinion. I love the way he draws the Joker. I love, as I said, I love the way he draws Batman. He's just, he's fantastic. I love him. And then the next couple pages recaps the Joker before he became the Joker. Uh, and I'll get to another point he makes a little bit, in a little bit. But uh, at this point, it's flashing back to a guy that's a comedian. He comes home to his pregnant wife. She's asking how he did. He says, well, I must, now I got nervous. I messed up the punchline. And you can see that they're having some problems. You know, he gets real irate at her, and then she gets defensive, and he, you know, breaks down and starts crying, sobbing in her lap. He's telling her that he's sorry that she's married to such a loser, and she's comforting him, telling him that, you know, Mrs. Burkus will let the rent go a little longer, and so forth. And then we, we see the Joker going back to present time. So we can tell the way they got this drawn. I mean, you can tell that's the Joker's face. Uh, this comedian. Uh, again, great, great arts. The writing's fantastic on this page. And I like it, the last I mean, the last two panels, we see him reaching out to his wife with a reflection in the mirror behind her. And the next panel, he's reaching out to a, a laughing clown fun box of some sort. It's a penny in the slots. And we see the Joker's reflection, him reaching out. Just fantastic. And I, I keep saying it, but I just love the artwork in this book. Hey, this one panel on this page, he's got his head leaning against the window as he's complaining he doesn't have enough money to get himself in a decent neighborhood. Uh, he's talking about how the girls on the street earn more than a weekend that he makes. It's just really great. You can tell the emotion on uh, the pre-Joker wannabe's face. Uh, again, we're not. We'll find out later. We're not quite sure if this is his origin or if he's making things up. But I just really like this this artwork. This the writing in this is fantastic, in my opinion. Uh, and then we're back in present day with the Joker talking to the uh, owner of the amusement park. And I like this next page here. Uh, the owner saying, well, it's a privilege. And Joker's like, indeed it is. Naturally I, naturally, I won't be paying for you anything. My colleagues persuaded your partner to sign that necessary documents just over an hour ago. The property is already mine. You're happy with that, I take it. And we see he's got a, uh, looks like a joy buzzer, but there's a needle on it, on his hand. And, you know, we've got, we're, right now our, uh, the uh, previous owner, I'm going to call him now, of the carnival, He's got his back to us. He's sitting on one of those uh, elephant little ride of some sort. It looks like a little pink elephant. Looks like a kitty ride. Uh, he's sitting on it, and his back's to us. And the Joker walks, walks away talking, saying how you know he's got work to do. And he tells the you know, the the guy. And then of course I've got to secure my main attraction. Do feel free to stick around. And then the last panel, we see the Joker in the background walking off, putting his hat on, the classic Joker look. And the foreground, uh, we see the poor guy, he's sitting there, his eyes are bugged out, and his, he got a, a giant Joker rictus grin on his face. So if you're a, familiar with the Joker, you know he's been uh, 
victim of the Joker gas, or Joker venom, the Joker, whatever you want to call it. And again, just to, I'm gonna, I keep, I've said it before, I'm going to keep saying it. This artwork in this book is just phenomenal. I love it. I love you. We got the guy sitting there. He's got a little bit of drool coming out of his mouth already because he's just, he's dead sitting there on the, the pink elephant as the Joker just walks away. This is a classic page. And then we're back to the Batman. To the Batman? Okay. He's holding, he's in the back cave holding a Joker card, looking at it, looking at a picture of uh, the extended Bat family. Uh, it's hard for me to make out. We got Alfred, Gordon. Looks like Batmite, Batman, Robin, Ace. Uh, I believe that's Batgirl or Batwoman. With the giant shadow of the bat behind him. And he's sitting there and he's got to pull a big shot of the, uh, or a wider shot of the bat cave. We see the giant dinosaur that's always a presence there. The giant penny, the giant bat computers, classic. The Batman shadow going across it all. It's just a great scene. Nothing's being said on this panel. Uh, we see the Joker. Sorry, try that again. We see Batman entering in uh, some stuff in the computer. It says Joker classification Delta zero two. Print file enlargement all screens. Pull back again. We see different shots of the Joker's face on the screens. Uh, one screen says his name's unknown, age is unknown, relatives is unknown. And we got a couple different versions of the Joker here. Uh, we see one down in the bottom corner. It looks like maybe a, a spraying or a finger drawn Joker, an, an early on Joker. And then we got one here that looks like the Joker we've seen in the book. It's just really great. Again, no, nothing's being said on this page, but it conveys so much. We can tell that, you know. Batman knows absolutely nothing about his arch enemy, and it's frustrating to him. Uh, next page, we have Alfred coming down, bringing some tea and crumpets or something to Batman. Batman takes his cowl off, and he's just staring at the monitor of the Joker. And Alfred's like, Refreshment, sir? Master Bruce? Is there anything further I can assist with? Or will that be all? And I like this line here. Again, another classic uh, line. He's like, I've been trying to figure out what he intends to do. It's almost impossible. I don't know him, Alfred. All these years, and I don't know who he is any more than he knows who I am. How can two people hate so much without knowing each other? Which is a classic. I mean, it's a great Batman line. I mean, contemplating, you know, how come they hate each other, yet they don't know anything about each other. All they know is that, you know, Batman knows the Joker's full of chaos and lunacy. And the Joker knows that Batman's trying to stop him. I mean, that's all they really know about each other at this point. And when we see, again, another... We see Alfred walking away holding the uh, the cowl and the uh, cape. Looking back at Master Bruce, the look on his face is like, I don't know, to me it looks like a, a worried... Like a parental worried about his kid. Because honestly, I mean, at this point, since his parents were killed, Alfred is Bruce's dad. And then we cut over to the uh, Gordon household, where Commissioner Gordon's reading a paper, talking about the uh, asylum security uproar, maniac escapes again. Uh, and this is back when Batman wasn't quite so much the urban legend. 
there's a picture of Batman. They're saying crime fighter unavailable for comments. And I like this scene. It's just a homey scene between Commissioner Gordon and his daughter Barbara. Life at the Gordon household. And I like the... Not only do I like the artwork, as I've been saying many times, the dialogue in this is excellent. Barbara's telling her dad that she, you know, she needs to let him help with the filing system because things are a mess. Uh, the paper, the Gordon has a uh, a scrapbook keeping different clippings, and they uh, there's one here. In fact, he makes a comedy. He's like, "Hey, look at this one. First time we, first time they met. Now, what year is that? Talking about Batman and the Joker, and we see a picture." Looks like something out of the old 50s Batman or 30s, 40s Batman. Headlines, Bat Garb Vigilante, Critically Injures, Murderer, Disfigured Homicidal Maniac in Hospital. Below that are a couple other, uh, I don't know, is that, is that Bill Finger or Dick Spring drawings of Batman and Joker. Looks very good. Uh, very much of a callback to a bygone day. And then we have Barbara, you know, opening up the door saying how, you know, she remembers her dad describing the Joker the first time to her. White face, green hair. Said he used to scare the hell out of her. Which is interesting that they're talking about this because she opens the door. And before I continue, uh, just make sure that was it for this page. Again, this, this is a... I really love the dialogue here. And the artwork is fantastic, as I've been saying the entire time. So we move on to the next page, Barbara opening the door because the doorbell rings or standing there in the shadows. We see our, our friend, the Joker. He's in a Hawaiian shirt, a white brim hat, a camera around his neck, much like he's wearing on the cover I described earlier. And he's got a gun in his hand. And we get a close-up of the gun, a close-up of Barbara with a look of fear in her eyes. And, and you can tell that she's, you know, she's Batgirl. Well, she was Batgirl, a little... Before, uh, behind the scenes on this uh, sometime before this story came out not too long before there was a, a comic called the Batgirl Special and in that Barbara Gordon retired from being a superhero she gave up the Batgirl life and wanted to become an ordinary civilian if you will so I mean so she is she, while she's retired from Batgirl she has been Batgirl for many years but to open up your front door at home and your civilian guys and see the Joker standing there with a gun. You can see the fear in her eyes. And then he just shoots her right in the gut. Blood comes splurting out. And she falls back onto the uh, coffee table. Shatters that. And she's laying there. Gordon looking on helpless. As his daughter is shot in the gut in front of him. And just. This one page here where we see Barbara get shot and fall. It's just a great scene. I know I'm describing a scene where a, a girl gets shot in the stomach, and I'm describing that as great, but Barbara's at home and not thinking of anything, of anything else, and she, she's risked her life, I don't know how many times, fought, I don't know how many different villains, and at home where you think you're safe, she's not out rescuing people, she's at home just having a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. Uh, or hot chocolate, I think it was, with her dad. And to get shot like that, it's just, just a great scene. 
And then uh, <laughs> the next page, I'm talking about a, a bad girl, get, or Barbara Gordon getting shot. And I'm laughing, but the, what it is on the next page, you know, Gordon rushes over to Barbara, and the Joker comes up behind him. He's like, "Please don't worry. It's a psychological complaint, common amongst ex-librarians." Because you see, at one time, Barbara Gordon was a librarian. So I'm assuming she still was in this continuity. I mean, it's changed over the years, but at this point, she was a, a librarian at one time. So hence the reference. So, anyways, uh, back to the story. Joker says it's a com, it's a, a physiological complaint common amongst ex-librarians. You see, she thinks she's a coffee table edition. Mind you, I can't say much for the volume's condition. I mean, there's a hole in the jacket, and the spine appears to be damaged. And Joker or uh, Gordon grabs a pair of scissors and rushes the Joker. Before his men stop him, that's with him. Called Joker's men grab Gordon. And again, I'm going to keep reading these lines here because, again, this is the Joker. It's classic Joker material. He's like, frankly, she won't be walking off the shelves in this desolated repair. In fact, the idea of her walking anywhere seems increasingly remote. But then, that's always a problem with softbacks. God, these literary discussions are so dry. When you're finished with the old boy, you know where to take him. And please do be careful. After all, he is the top billing. Or top in the bill. In the background, the Joker's talking, pouring himself a drink. Uh, one of the Joker's goons is beating the living snot out of Gordon. And again, I just love this scene. I mean, this this page, again, another... I can't go on enough about the artwork in this book. Not only... Was it a, a fantastically fantastic, fantastically fantastic, fantastically fantastic written story? But the artwork in this is oh, fantastic. Uh, how many times did I use the word fantastic there? It was just great artwork. It's just I I love. I can't say I love enough. I love this artwork in this book. It's fantastic. Again with the word fantastic. Um, so Barbara's laying there on the ground, bleeding through her chest, and she's like, "Why are why are you doing this?" And the Joker's like, "To prove a point. Here's the crime." And the look on Barbara's face—I mean, you can see her mascara is running. You see her, she got her face is crunched up in pain, and you can see the pain that she's in on her face through the arts. It's just fantastic. It's just a great scene. It's. Again, as I read off part of the dialogue to you, it's fantastic, very Joker-esque, trying to be funny, trying to be the Joker, and it's just, oh. And then we cut back to a uh, another flashback, and again, you can tell these are flashbacks because the colors are a bit more muted, uh, not as many color choices, if you will. And we see the out-of-work comedian earlier uh, sitting around talking to some guys, saying now he's got to prove himself as a husband and a father. And he's saying how he began as a lab assistant. And he quit to become a comedian because he thought he had the talent to be a, a great comedian. And apparently not. He's a failure as a comedian. But... So he's telling these guys that he'll do, he needs to do this one big crime. And he's saying, you know, he, he doesn't mind helping him out and helping with this crime as long as no one knows he's involved. 
And they tell them that they need the guy's help uh, getting through a chemical plant through a playing card company that he worked at next door at one point. And they said they no one's going to connect him with the robbery. They show him a picture saying you'll be wearing this, and they show a picture of a red hood. Or it's not a picture, I guess it's a box. Yeah, I missed that. It's a bag. Guy pulls up like a uh, like a carpet bag, and he opens it up, and inside the bag is a red hood. Um, it's just a giant red dome. Not quite a dome. Um, it looks like half of a uh, like a capsule for like a pain pill or something like that. A really large one. And he said, well, there's no eye holes, just like giant, one giant red shell. And he says it's a red two-way mirror glass, so they can see through without people seeing who he is. And the guy's like, well, that's the guy, the, the red hood. I'm like, there's no red hood, it's just a bunch of guys with the mask. So he said, the red hood, apparently it's, uh, criminals have been going around, and it's different people just wearing this hood. And the, the comedian's saying how he doesn't know the. He's not quite sure if he wants to do the do the crime or not. He's a little iffy on it, but if he does, he'll become super rich and he'll have the money to support his wife and son or kid. I've ever said what the gender of his pregnant wife is, but um, his wife and kid. So he's contemplating it. And then we cut back to the present time where we at the hospital we have Harvey Bullock with Batman. And for more on Harvey Bullock, pay attention to my sister podcast, Task Force X. Uh, he hasn't shown up yet, but he will be showing up in future months once I get to the Checkmate issues. Harvey Bullock uh, eventually goes over to Checkmate and plays a big part in the Checkmate series, uh, for a while at least. So stay tuned to Task Force X. Also available on the Headcast Network for uh, more of Harvey Bullock. But enough pimping my own stuff again. Um, so the doctor saying how the bullet went through Barbara Gordon's hospital room, of course. The doctor saying the bullet went through her spine, her legs completely useless, and that she may be in the chair for the rest of her life. And we see that Batman standing there, and Bullock saying that uh, a woman in the yoga class, uh, Barbara, found her, and they found her in a state of undress, but otherwise the place was empty. The commissioner was. Batman's like, wait, undress? And they say that apparently the Joker, after he shot her, removed her clothing. He said he also found the lens cap on the floor that didn't fit any camera in the place. He's like, we believe that. Uh, and he's kind of hesitant. And they finally finishes up. He says, well, they took some pictures of her. Geez, look, I'm really sorry. I thought you knew. It's pretty sick, ain't it? And he tells him, Batman tells uh, Bullock that he wants to be left alone, so Bullock leaves him. And again, this is the Bullock of old. Uh, very slovenish, very uh, unkempt. His hair's messed up. Unshaved, smoking a cigar. It's very disheveled. His tie's loose. Again, very reminiscent of what Donald Loggle, I believe is how you pronounce his name, is doing on Gotham over on Fox. I think Donald's playing a very good... Uh, uh, Bullock, very reminiscent of Bullock, especially at this time frame. Uh, so, anyways, 
uh, Bullock leaves the room, leaving Batman alone with Barbara. And just the I like the scene the Batman standing over Barbara, a crumpled playing card they dropped. And he's just sitting there staring at the playing card. And he talks to Barbara, and Barbara wakes up. And she tells him that, you know, the Joker took her dad. And again, I've said this before, and I'm saying it again. The artwork on this series is fucking fantastic. I don't have to use much language this episode just because of the material I'm talking about, but this deserves it. The look on her face when she tells Batman what's going on. He, she, you know, she's like, oh, God, oh, God, I remember, oh, Bruce, what he did. He's like, Barbara, take it easy. It's okay. She's like, no, no, it's not. Okay, he's he's taken to the limit this time. You didn't see. You didn't see his eyes. And just the close-up on her, tears coming down her face, and her eyes are wide with fear because of what, you know, she knows the Joker has planned. And she says, uh, he said he wanted to prove, prove a point. He said Dad was the top of the bill. What's he doing to him, Bruce? What's he doing to my father? And she grasps his cape and is just trying to get answers out of Batman that he doesn't have. It's a very heartwarming scene. It's very... It tugs in the old heartstrings. If I had any, it'd be tugged away. But it's a very nice scene. I really like it. Even the big old Jagoff I am, I, I'm touched by you know, the scene that the way this is drawn. The, a combination of the, again... The way it's written and the the, the artwork in this is just fantastic. Uh, again, I, I can't say it enough how wonderful this was drawn. And just you know, like I said, the last panel here where she's asking, what's he doing to my father? And we see her arms grabbing Batman's cape and we just see from Batman's lip down. It, it's just a, a wonderful, warm piece that just... It's great. And we cut from Barbara, this one panel, the last panel on this page of Barbara grasping Batman's cloak, to the next page of somebody grabbing Gordon's shirt and opening it up, saying, or I don't know if he's opening it up or he's just what, uh, this is what he just has Gordon's shirt pulled open, he's got like a, a wife beater underneath it, and whoever this is saying up. And we pull back and we see there's a couple of dwarfs. Dwarfs? Little people? Midgets? Munchkins? Whatever you want to call them. There's three of them undressing Gordon and putting a collar on him and pulling his pants off. So they got a collar on him with a... Uh, looks like they're using a, a stun rod on him to, to shock him, to get him to move around where they want him at. They got a collar with a leash on it. And they're pulling Gordon out naked through the outside of the tent out into the uh, abandoned uh, circus that we saw earlier. And as they're pulling them through the the deserted circus, they're sitting on that peak elephant still, is still that the dead ex-owner, a big old grin on his face still. And Gordon's like, oh God, where, you know, where are you taking me? Oh dear God, am I dreaming? What, what's going on? Yeah, he's just mortified to find where he's at. And he's a bunch of circus freaks standing around. There's the fat woman... Looks like probably a skinny guy. I uh, can't quite make out. There's a uh, conjoined twins and so forth. And they pull him down to the ground. And uh, he's like, somebody, please tell me what I'm doing here. We hear a voice saying, doing? 
You're doing what any sane man in your appalling circumstances would do. You're going mad. And we see the Joker sitting up on what can only be considered a throne at this point. It's a, uh, it looks like a, uh, a amusement park ride. It's a half circle, the bench seat in it. And it's a classic Joker sitting there in his purple suit and his big wide brim hat on. There's a bunch of uh, doll, little baby dolls piled up on the side leading up to the steps where he's sitting at with uh, a couple sticks with some bundles of something on it wrapped up on fire. Uh, it's just a great scene. The sun's going down. It's dark. We can see a roller coaster looks like in the background uh, behind him. It's just, again, more great dialogue, a great scene. Just seeing the uh, Gordon being pulled through this this circus, this, this carnival, almost in tears, and the Joker just surveying it. And again, the, the next page, we see a close-up of Gordon's face with the fear on it, and the Joker's face, just his eyes wide, his teeth bared. And Gordon's saying, oh no, I remember. And Joker's like, remember? Oh, I wouldn't do that. Remembering's dangerous. I had to find the past such a worrying, anxious place. The past tense, I suppose you'd call it. <laughs> Memory's so treacherous. One moment we were lost in a carnival of delights with poignant childhood aromas. The flashing neon of purity, all that sentimental candy floss, the next, it leads you somewhere you don't want to go. Somewhere dark and cold, filled with the damp, ambiguous shapes of things you'd hope were forgotten. Memories can be vice, repulsive little brutes. Like children, I suppose. <laughs> but we can we live without them? Memories are what our reason based upon memories are what our reason is based upon. If we can't face them, we deny reason itself. Although, why not? We aren't contractually tied down to rationality. There is no sanity clause. So when you find yourself locked upon an unpleasant train of thought, heading for the place in your past where the screaming is unbearable, remember there's always madness. Madness is the emergency exit. You can just step outside and close the door on all those dreadful things that happened. You can lock them away. Forever. And while he's talking, the... the, the uh, Midgets, the uh, short people, the uh, whatever you want to call them, they're leading again a naked Gordon through something called Ghost Train. Looks like it says. And as he's talking about, you find yourself locked into an unpleasant train of thoughts. Uh, we see him, they're strapping Gordon into a train car, and he's going into a. Uh, uh, into a fun house of some sort. I'm going to call it a fun house. Um, and they're, one of them's hanging on the back of the little train. The other two are the next to Gordon in the train. And they go into a... Uh, it looks like a Joker face. It's not exact duplicate of the Joker, but you can see what the, that's what they're going for on this. And then we're back again in the past... Uh, we see the police coming into this bar and grill. And again, the comedian's talking. He's saying, well, I mean, the worst part is lying to Jenny. That's over. 
She she thinks I have a club engagement tonight. There was no reason she couldn't keep thinking that. And they're telling me, you know, wear a suit and bow tie. It's kind of a trademark of the Red Hood business. And the, the policemen come in. They have a picture ho holding up of... Can't quite make it out, but I can tell you now it's the comedian and his wife. Uh, they're asking the uh, barkeep, you know, where the comedian's at. And he points him out sitting over the, the thugs. They come over like, excuse me, sir, we're police officers. Can we speak to you outside for a moment? And so he, he's talking with these criminals, and the police are coming up talking to him. So he's a little nervous, a little frightened. He's like, me? But I haven't, I mean, we'll only take a moment, sir. And so they take him outside, and they're like, uh, listen, what's the problem here? And they're talking about front. They're telling him that his wife had an accident, apparently a baby bottle heater. Uh, there was an electrical short, and that she died. And the guy's like, what? And the police lights up a cigarette as he's telling him that, you know, his wife's dead. And he says, you know, it was one of me, an accident. And they have full details when you get to the hospital. He's like, if I was you, I'd have another drink. So the guy goes back in and says, you know, his wife, she's dead. And the, the, guy, the crooks are like, huh? Sorry, I hear about your wife. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Or no, I'm sorry. Let's try that again. They say, well, uh, sorry, you probably won't be left alone right now. We'll see you here tonight. He's like, tonight? But I, I can't do it tonight. There's no reason. With Jenny dead, or Jeannie, Jeannie dead. You don't understand. The other, one of the guys like, no, no. I'm sorry about your wife, but it's you that don't understand. What's, ha that, what's happening tonight? It's no little thing. Nobody backing out now remains healthy. No exceptions. The guy's like, but, but, no buts, man. Tomorrow, you bring your old lady in luxury. Tonight, you're with us. Get the picture? Yeah, yes, I get the picture. And he's just sitting there. And again, we can't see his face at this point because, again, the coloring's all off. The less know it's a flashback. And the guy has his head down on the table. His arms are up over his head. His hands are shaking. In front of him is the picture of him and his wife that the cops had. Again, a very another emotional page. This book is filled with these wonderfully drawn, wonderfully written pages that are very emotional. Between the dialogue, what's going on, the storytelling, and the artwork being used to tell us the story. I mean, a lot of times I forget about the dialogue in these pages when I think back on the story. And the main thing I remember about these flashback sequences is the artwork. I remember how, how vivid, how much energy and how much emotion the, these images convey. And, I mean, I remember, I know there's dialogue in here because I remember the wife dying accidentally, some other uh, the electrical or something like that. I forget the exact details usually. But a lot of times when I think about this, I, I can almost imagine the pages without any dialogue and just the, the wonderful artwork. And again, in the background, this last panel, there's a couple of people who sit there looking at the comedian kind of laughing. It looks like they're laughing at him as he's wallowing in in, in his uh, his uh, sadness, his uh, just very, very upset that his wife's dead and he still has to go through with this this plan. He, now he's being... Again, he was really willing to go along with it originally, 
to get money to pay, you know, to support his wife and kid. But now that they're dead, he doesn't really matter, but he still has to do it. Otherwise, these gang members are going to hurt him, possibly kill him. It's just fantastic. And they're back in present time where Gordon's on the train and we see the uh, Joker's on a loudspeaker and on screens behind him. Tell him, you know, oh, I know, you're you're confused, you're frightened. Who wouldn't be? You're in a hell of a situation. But you know, through life's the bowl of cherries, and this is the pits. Always remember this. Music, Sam. When the world is full of care and every headline screams despair, when all is rape, starvation, war, and life is vile, there's a certain thing I do which I shall pass along to you. That's always guaranteed to make me smile. I go loony as a light bulb. Battered bug simply loony. Sometimes foam and chew the rug. Mr. Life is well in a padded cell. It'll chase those blues away. And you can trade your gloom and doom. I'm sorry, you can trade your gloom for a rubber room. Injections twice a day. Just go loony like an acid casualty. Or a moony. Or a preacher on TV. When the human race wears an anxious face, when the bomb hangs overhead, when your kid turns blue, it won't worry you. You can smile and nod instead. And again, so Joker's going along, and there's Joker doing on this big monitor in the background doing this little song and dance with the song I just sung to you. Again, it didn't have any music, but uh, that was the basic gist of the song. And uh, as we get near the the crescendo of the piece the Joker's all finishing up when you're loony then you don't just give a fig man so puny and the universe so big if you hurt inside get certified and if life should treat you bad don't get even get mad and as he's singing this last couple of verses here they're pulling in and they're showing some pictures on the wall first we see this uh Picture of the, the pair of legs, this little ass. And Gordon's like, wait, wait a minute, that's... And he realizes that it's pictures of his, his daughter. He's like, Barbara? And we pull back and we see... Gordon in the middle of the frame just screaming, Barbara! And surrounding him are snapshots of Barbara naked. Uh, again, we can't see anything. Everything, you know, the naughty bits are covered up, if you will. But we can tell she's naked. We see a picture of her feet, her shoulder, her face. Uh, another picture of her face, and her looks like she's in pain. Again, her legs and her thigh, with blood splattered over from where the Joker shot her. In the last panel, where he's like, "Don't get even, get mad," we see the Joker just grinning like a loon. It's fantastic. Uh, again, just a classic shot of the Joker. His eyes wide. Uh, maniacal uh, just the classic Joker look on his face oh this is just wonderful it's just great great artwork great I love the little song Joker sings so we got Bar so we got Joker uh, Gordon strapped in the seat looking at his daughter that's been shot and stripped naked and has pit naked pictures of her hanging up all over just all around him And then we see the Gordon leaving the 
the ride and then we cut as we're at this point we, this page the next page is cut into uh, three six nine panels the left hot left hand left hand side of the page shows Gordon leaving the fun house going through a couple different doors bumping out the other two panels we see Batman uh, he's ripped a poster a wanted poster off of the Joker and he's beating up some thugs showing him the picture he's talking to the penguin who's in jail trying to track down where the Joker's at what the Joker's doing in the last panel we see Batman sitting on a rooftop a gargoyle below him his cape flapping in the wind in the background we see the the bat uh, bat light bat signal that's what it's called the bat signal shining in the sky calling for Batman just a great page and again the next page is laid out the same way Joker or uh, Gordon leaving the fun house on the left hand column the other six pages on the or the other six panels on the other side of the page shows Batman landing on top of uh, police headquarters and again our disheveled lovely bullet handing him an envelope with the bat symbol on the front and he's got tickets to uh, bonus brothers carnival amusement ride admit one another little stub that says with compliments with a picture of the Joker's face on it Batman sets it down and just takes off the building like he does again this is just a side I'm saying silent the only words on it is again on the left hand side where it says ba-dump when Gordon's going out of the different doors but the rest of the page is a silent page Batman look at the tickets and just knowing what's going on that the Joker's got something planned as he takes off to find his arch enemy and on this next page we get the final ba-dump as the commissioner comes out where the Joker's standing and Joker's like ah oh, there they are now my goodness that's some ghost train when they went in the chap in the middle didn't look a day over 17 and his three little pals were professional basketball stars look at him now poor fellow that's what a dose of reality does for you and so you got Joe, uh, Gordon again just cringing in the middle of the cart and the three little stooges, <laughs> three stooges, the three little, you know, miniature dwarfs, again, whatever phrase you want to use, little people, I don't care, uh, whatever they are, surrounding them. And so the Joker's, you know, he's saying that, you know, it's a dose of reality. He's like, never touch stuff myself, you understand? Finally get the way of the hallucinations. My hello, Commissioner. How's things? Commissioner, hello. Anybody at home? God, how boring. The man's a complete turnip. Take him away and pet him in his cage. Perhaps he'll get a little livelier once he's had a chance to think his situation over. To reflect upon life and all its random injustice. And as he's saying this, we, we this scene is uh, looking down in a pool of water right below the Joker. So we see a reflection of the Joker in a pool of water with the rain beating around him. Again, I don't know how many times I can say it's just great artwork in this. Great, great writing. God, it's fantastic. I, I love this story. Uh, and we'll discuss a little bit more about the story itself when I'm done. But the next page again, we're in the back. Or back in the back? We're in a flashback. And they're at the front of Ace Chemicals processing. 
And so you give him the hood to pet on. And uh, he's, you know, they put the hood on. They're like, you still there, man? And he's like, well, yeah, okay. I guess, except that everything's red. It's kind of stuffy, too. And it smells funny. Does my voice sound equi to you? He's like, you sound great. Now, now I got into the stinking factory the next door. And the guy's kind of sleepwalking through all this. He's saying it's like a dream. He keeps remembering Jeannie. And as they're taking him through, all of a sudden, the police show up. Or maybe not the police, but the security guard, I guess. They tell him to freeze. And they're like, hey, you asshole, you said there was no security. And the comedian's like, they must have altered things since I left. So we got the, the red hood, which is the comedian with two goons behind him. The security guard pulls on him. Uh, they start shooting at the uh, security guard, threatening the comedian. He said he's going to alter a stupid horse face. And uh, the comedian says that the noise is so loud in his helmets. As they take off running, the security guy calls in for backup. And they're trying to find their way out. And the comedian, a.k.a. the Red Hood, is telling you can't see anything with the mask. You can't see where he's going. The guy's like, I'm going to kill you, you useless son of a bitch. When we get out of here, I'm going to... And as the guards start shooting at him, at least one of them looks like he's hit and goes down. Yeah, one of them... They're not dead, but one of them... looks like maybe both of them's hit. And they're both, you know, laying there. And the, one of the guys like, oh, hell, hell. You guys don't want me. You want him. He's the ringleader. He's the Red Hood. And one of the guys, the one that's, you know blaming the comedian saying he's the boss he's trying to pull a gun out so the cops start shooting again again the comedian the red hood can't see what's going on very well so he takes off running starts climbing a ladder to get away from all the gunshots so he doesn't find himself with uh, some extra holes in him so he climbs a ladder and so at this point the police think that the comedian the red hood is the, is the ringleader of the whole thing as they start to shoot him or shoot at him we see in the bottom corner, you can see the Batman's ears. He's like, no, no more shooting. I'm here now. I'll take care of it my way. And again, this is an early in Batman's career. And one of the guys like, it's a human bat guy in all the papers lately. And again, this is again, you can tell this is an early appearance of Batman. Uh, his ears are a lot more horn shaped, if you will. Uh, Again, it's a great scene. Batman rushes out to meet the Red Hood. He's like, so, Red Hood, we meet again. And the comedian's like, no, 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 this isn't happening. Dear God, what have you said to punish me? Don't come closer. I'll jump. And he jumps over the railing into a vat of chemicals. And we see the Batman grasp at him, try to save him, but he barely misses him. And next thing we see, the, the outside the plants, the comedian, the Red Hood, comes out of the pipes, coming up on ground, grasp, gasping for breath. And he's like, I'm stinging and itching my face, my hands, something in the, the water. It, oh, Jesus, it burns. Get the stupid off so I can see, so I can see. We see, we don't see his face at this point, but we see, uh, again, a reflection from the water. He's pulling the hood off. And just sitting there in his hands, in his, his face in his hands. And he starts laughing. He's like, ha, 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 thank, oh, ho, 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 ha, ha, ha. And we slowly start pulling a closer look until we get just a, 
a classic look of the Joker. I've seen this picture everywhere on the internet before. Uh, maybe I'll try to post this one if I think about it on my sites. But it's just a picture of the Joker, his hands in his hair, just in the background. <laughs> just laughing hysterically. He's got the grin. His face is white, hair green, just in the classic Joker suits. And this kid, according to the Joker, his memory at this point, this is when the Joker was born. And so again, we're back to the present day with the Joker talking to Gordon. Hey, yeah, this page isn't bad. I mean, there, there's not much going on here. Joker's just babbling and talking. And uh, the whole thing saying, you know, life is kind of harsh. And he's like, well, how does the poor, pathetic specimen survive in today's harsh and irrational world? The sad, sad answer is not very well. And basically this whole page is just him saying that if things don't go right, it can drive anyone to go crazy. In the background, we see some headlights coming up, and then the next page we turn to a full splash page of the Batmobile pulling up. Well, not quite a full splash page, it's like three-quarters of the page of the Batmobile pulling up. Just a great scene of the Batmobile pulling up and the Batman getting out of the Bat Batmobile. And the next couple pages is just uh, captions saying, hello, I came to talk. I've been thinking lately about you, about me, about what's going to happen to us in the end. And again, this is the dialogue from earlier in the issue when Batman went to visit the Joker. I say the Joker in air quotes when he was in prison. Batman leaps off of the Batmobile and just jumps on the Joker and just pushes him to the ground. And again, as they're fighting, uh, we've got uh, snips of Batman's dialogue about how, you know, they're going to end up killing each other. Either he's going to kill the Joker, Joker's going to kill him. Running through this, this battle. And uh, the Joker's squaring with his acid so he can get away. He runs into the house of fun. Batman chases after him. As he starts to chase after him, he sees Gordon in the cage. So he opens the cage and gets Gordon out. And Gordon's telling me he shot Barbara, showed me photographs. He tried to drive me mad. Batman tells him that the police are right behind him. I'll stay here with you until they arrive. Gordon's like, no, no, I'm okay. You have to go after him. I want him brought in. And I want him brought in by the book. And again, this is something I love about Gordon. I mean, he's been kidnapped. He's been stripped naked. His daughter's been shot. His daughter's been stripped naked, had pictures taken of her. And... Through all this, through, he's been forced to look at pictures of his daughter while the Joker's rambling about insanity. And through this whole thing, I mean, any rational person, any ordinary person, in my opinion, would be like, you know, shoot that fucker down. Just, you know, punch him in his turkey neck, kill him, do whatever you have to. But Gordon's, no, I want him brought in by the book. And Batman's like, I'll do my best. And Gordon's yelling after him, by the book, you hear me? We have to show him. We have to show him that our way works. So even though everything Gordon... Everything that's happened to Gordon, everything the Joker's done to him and his daughter, everything Joker's done to people of the city, Gordon still believes in law and order. He still believes that the system can handle things. So he wants the Joker brought in, as he said, by the book. He doesn't want you know anything un 
toward whatever happened to the Joker. He wants him brought in so he can stand trial for everything he's done. Because he wants to prove a point that insanity is not the way to do things. So we see Batman chasing him through the funhouse. And Joker's on the loudspeaker again saying, I see you received the free ticket I sent you. I'm glad. I just want you to be here. You see, it doesn't matter if you catch me and send me back to the asylum. Gordon's been driven mad. I've proved my point. I've demonstrated there's no difference between me and everyone else. And again, I'm reading this whole thing here to you because this this is the moral of the book, in my opinion. And I've heard others say the same. This this is what the book is trying to, this entire killing joke story is trying to prove. So he says, it doesn't matter. You catch me, send me back. Gordon's driven mad. I've proved my points. There's no difference between him and me. I demonstrate there's no difference between me and everyone else. All it takes is one bad day to reduce the sanest man alive to lunacy. That's how far the world is from where I am. Just one bad day. You had a bad day once, am I right? I know I am. I can tell. You had a bad day and everything changed. Why else would you dress up like a flying rat? You had a bad day and it drove you as crazy as everybody else. Only you won't admit it. You have to keep pretending that life makes sense. That there's some point to all this struggling. God, you make me want to puke. I mean, what is it with you? What made you what you are? Girlfriend killed by the mob, maybe? Brother carved up by some mugger? Something like that, I bet. Something like that. Something like that happened to me, you know. I, I'm not exactly sure what it was. And this is me interjecting, interrupting the Joker's comments here. This next scene is a classic Joker comments. This is one thing I loved about the Nolan Batman movie when they did the Joker. Again, in that movie, uh, I didn't care for the way they did the Joker's looks. Actually painting his face and cut it, but I'm not going into that whole thing right now. I'll, I'll bitch about that later. But how whenever he would talk about the scars he had, he would give a different story every time. That comes from this. So back to this panel here, he says, Something like that happened to me, you know. I, I'm not exactly sure what it was. Sometimes I remember it one way, sometimes another. If I'm going to have a past, I prefer it to be multiple choice. <laughs> but my point is, my point is, I went crazy. When I saw what a black, awful joke the world was, I went crazy as a coon. Coot. Not coon, coot. I admit it. Why can't you? I mean, you're not unintelligent. You must see the reality of the situation. Do you know how many times we've come close to World War III over a flock of geese on a computer screen? Do you know what triggered the last World War? An argument over how many telegraph poles Germany owed its war debt creditors. Telegraph poles! <laughs> it's all a joke. Everything anybody ever valued or struggled for, it's all a monstrous, demented gag. So why can't you see the funny side? Why aren't you laughing? And then the Batman busts the, the mirror. Uh, before I continue again, do I need to say this again? Fantastic artwork on this on these pages. But again, like I say, the Joker, as he says here, this is a, to me this is a classic Joker line. This is just this is the Joker. He says, you know, if I'm going to have a pass, I prefer to be multiple choice. I like that line from the Joker, and again, that that's classic Joker to me. Once, whenever I think about the Joker, I think about that line. When I think about the Joker's origin. Most of the time, his origin is tied up with the Red Hood in some way. But again, as he says, his memory, he doesn't really remember things correctly. It could be his memory's wrong. Again, it could be a multiple-choice path. So any Joker origin story is as valid as the other. 
whether it's this Red Hood story here in The Killing Joke, or whether it's the whatever they're going to do on Gotham here soon. Uh, even the story, the, what he presented in uh, the Dark Knight movie. Again, well, I didn't like the way the Joker looked. Again, he had multiple origins in there, too. So, I mean, it's just, it's wonderful. It's the Joker. I love it. But back to the story. So, you know, he's like, why aren't you laughing? Batman crashes through a pane of glass. Glass is shattering everywhere. And he's like, because I've heard it before. And it wasn't funny the first time. And he grabs the Joker and throws him through the glass. Incidentally, I spoke to Commissioner Gordon before I came in here. He's fine. Despite all your sick, vicious little games, he's as sane as he ever was. So maybe ordinary people don't always crack. Maybe there isn't any need to crawl under a rock with all the other slimy things when trouble hits. Maybe it was just you all the time. And Joker's like, no! And grabs Batman masks and pulls it down over his face. Hits him in the back of the head with a board. <laughs> Again, a great scene. Wonderful artwork. Joker pulls a knife out and tries to stab Batman. Batman grabs a knife, punches a little fight fight. Again, punches him through the door. And the Joker lands on the ground. Batman comes out after him. Joker pulls a gun out to shoot Batman. He's got Batman point-blank range. We see a close of Batman's face, rain pouring off of it. Batman, well, you can't see his eyes. You can tell that, he, you know, here he is, point-blank with the Joker. Joker's got a gun on him. What's going to happen? Joker pulls the trigger. Click, click, click. He's like, God damn it, it's empty. Well, what are you waiting for? I shot a defenseless girl. I terrorized an old man. Why don't you kick the hell out of me and get a standing ovation from the public gallery? And Batman's like, because I'm doing this one by the book. Because I don't want to. Do you understand? I want you to, I want, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want either of us to end up killing the other. But we're both running out of alternatives, and we both know it. Maybe it all hinges on tonight. Maybe this is our last chance to sort out this bloody mess out. If you don't take it, then we're locked on a suicide course, both of us, to the death. It doesn't have to end like that. I don't know what it was that bent your life out of shape, but who knows? Maybe I've been there, too. Maybe I can help. We could work together. I can rehabilitate you. You needn't be out there on the edge anymore. You needn't be alone. We don't have to kill each other. What do you say? And back to the Joker, he's like, no, I'm sorry, but no, it's too far, too late for that. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It reminds me of a joke. And before I go on with the Joker's joke, I'm going to comment again on this page again. I just read that whole page to you. Great dialogue. We see a, the Joker. I mean, though he's always got that, that uh, grin on his face. Now his face is kind of a frown. We can tell he's kind of sad. He's, you know, got his long, drawn-out face. Just great artwork. Just, I love it. I'm going to go ahead and read this last couple pages to you. It's a joke the Joker's telling. He's like, see, there's these two guys in a lunatic asylum. And one night, one, one night, they decide they don't like living in asylum anymore. They decide they're going to escape. So they get up there on the roof, and there, just across this narrow gap, they see the rooftops of the town stretch away in the moonlight. Stretch away to freedom. Now, the first guy, he jumps right across with no problem. But his friend, his friend dared make that leap, you see? You see, he's afraid of falling. So the first guy has an idea. He says, hey, I have my flashlight with me. I'll shine across the gap between the buildings. You can walk across the beam and join me. But the second guy just shakes his head. He says, he says, what do you think I am, crazy? 
you turn off when I was halfway across. <laughs> oh, fine. Oh, do excuse me. And he starts laughing. Again, just I'm not going to say how great this artwork is. I've said it many times this story. Wonderful fucking artwork. Just fantastic. And so he starts laughing, and the Batman kind of <laughs> cracks a little grin, and they start laughing at each other. And the police start pulling up. We have the sirens. They're laughing. The Batman puts his hand on the Joker, grabs the Joker, and they start laughing. And we end the page. If the laughter stops, we see the Batman's and the Joker's feet standing each other on the, waters, the edges of their feet. Rain pulling on the water. We see the police lights shining across the water. And then we just end on with the rain hitting a pool of water and nothing else. The end. Again, I've said it before. It's a great story. I love this book. Uh, a couple of things. There's there's a couple of things about this book that that's, uh, people have been questioning for years. One thing here at the very end, I mentioned uh, they're laughing about the Joker's joke. Batman reaches out and pets his hand on the Joker, and then they pull to a close with their legs, then their feet, and they stop laughing at this point, and then there's no noise at the last couple panels. A lot of people suggest that maybe the Batman killed the Joker at this point. Either he snapped his neck or throttled him or something. I mean, the dial, the, the artwork doesn't really say. Uh, we just see... I'm not sure if the Batman's leaning on the Joker because he's laughing, or if he's... Maybe he is going in to choke the Joker. We can't quite tell. His arm's going out towards the Joker's upper torso. Uh, there's no... Uh, no other sound effects showing they got choked or neck snapped or anything. Um, I, I've heard different people say that supposedly the writer said that he envisioned the Joker dying here. But there's nothing really here to say that the Joker died. It's up to inter uh, reader interpretation. Uh, and again, I, I seem to recall when this first came out hearing that this was a uh, Elseworlds story or uh, not set in continuity because this is before Elseworlds. Um, but after the story, shortly thereafter, Barbara does show up in a, another comic. Um, what's the name of that comic? I should know this. Uh, oh, yeah, Suicide Squad. Uh, spoilers, if you guys listen to my Task Force X, Task Force X headcast, I'm not getting any detailed spoilers about it, but Barbara does show up, and there is repercussions of this showing up in that title. So, again, stay tuned to the Task Force X podcast. Um, I don't think she shows up till like, the mid-20s, so we still got, like, a year or two to go before we get there. Uh, probably a year and a half, two years before we get there at this point, but stay tuned to Task Force X, and you'll find out what happened with Barbara and what happens with her later on, if you don't know. Uh, so, I mean, replications from this story does carry over into reality. The Joker's shown up, so if he if he did kill him, this would definitely make this a Elseworld story. Um, but if not, it could have happened, it happened in reality, or I mean, a version of this could have happened. No one really knows. Um, again, I haven't talked actually talked to the writer, so I can't say for certain. But I have heard people say that in interviews that he has said. In his mind, Batman choked or kill, killed the Joker at the end of this. But it's totally left up to your interpretation. If you read this, uh, let me know what you think. Did, did, 
Is this an Elseworlds story where the Batman killed the Joker? Did you just take him to jail? What do you think? And the other big contention about this story that, again, there's no proof in the story. There's nothing in the story that says it happened, but a lot of people feel that the Joker raped Barbara Gordon when he stripped her down naked and took pictures. A lot of people feel he raped her. Again, there's nothing in the comic that would suggest this. Uh, he took her, stripped her down, he took pictures of her, but there's nothing else that, that's mentioned that he actually raped her that I can see. A lot of people feel he did. In fact, a recent uh, cover to the Batgirl comic was an alternate cover. Uh, here they had a, a Joker month with Joker covers. They had one of the Joker standing behind Barbara smiling, and he had a grip on her, or on Batgirl. And with either lipstick or blood, he had a smile drawn on her face, and there was fear in her eyes. Uh, kind of reminiscent, reminding of this story. A lot of people freaked out and threw a fits, saying that you know it shows that she's weak, and that it's, it's a sign that she was raped. I didn't see any of that in that cover. Um, again, it's up to your interpretation. I guess the artist heard a lot of complaints, so he asked for it to be pulled. I think it's kind of stupid myself. Because, again, it was a variant cover. It was only like one in a hundred something like that. So there wasn't, wouldn't have been very many of those out there. But some people like to complain. But a lot of people do say that in the story she was raped. Again, I don't see it myself. Again, if you guys have read this, what do you think? Was Barbara raped? Uh, was she just, as I think, just had naked pictures taken of her shot, bloodied body? Um, but that's the killing joke from 1988. Again, I bought this off the shelf when it was brand new. Or shortly thereafter. Um, I loved it then. Here it is, uh, 80, 90, 2000, almost 30 years later. I still love the story. It's a great story. Fanta as I keep saying through this entire thing. Fantastic artwork. Um, again, the title is, this book is on the back cover, it does say suggested for mature readers. So, I mean, it's definitely not for kids. In case you couldn't tell. But yeah, Mr. Moore, he did a fantastic job on writing. Um, and uh, Brian Bolin, as the illustrator, he, he did a wonderful job illustrating this. This is just a classic, fantastic story. Um, if you haven't read this yet, go out and read it. Uh, you can find it online somewhere, I'm sure. You can uh, buy, there's trade paperbacks. As I said early on, there's appeared in a couple different collections. Whatever you need to do, you need to go out and buy this book or get a hold of this book and read it. It's a great book. And for those of you that have read it, let me know what you think. Email me at head at headspeaks.com. Again, you can email me at head at headspeaks.com or go to my head my website headspeaks.com and go to headscast and the uh, headspeaks headcast leave me a message there uh, you can go to my uh, Facebook page uh, links for all this is on my face on my uh, blog my website uh, definitely go let me know what you think leave me a message uh, if you want to record an MP3 file and send in to me with your information, with your you know thoughts, I'll play it on the air. You can send that to head at headspeaks.com. I'm waiting to hear from you guys. Uh, go ahead and email that to me. But that's what's in Head's long box for this episode. After these messages, we'll be right back.
secret governmental organization operating behind the scenes. Task Force X. Task Force X is an off-the-books government strike team made up of convicts with no hope for release, serving as expendable agents for impossible missions. Succeed, and I'll shave time off your sentences. If we don't. You'll be dead. Any other stupid questions? The Suicide Squad, ran by Amanda Waller. I'm Amanda Waller. I'm here to indoctrinate you convicts into our special forces. And there's Checkmate, ran by Harry Stein. This is the tales of DC Comics, Suicide Squad, and Checkmate. Mostly monthly from Headspeaks. Available on iTunes under Task Force X and under Headcasts over at headspeaks.com. We can also be found on Facebook and Google Plus under Task Force X. Task Force X. Check it out. Or you'll answer to the wall. Nobody screws the wall! Kalabak to Zod. It is I, Darkseid. I command you to listen to the Who's Who podcast. Uncover the powers and weaknesses of the Super Friends so that I may destroy them. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Hedrick, and Arisia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe. Available monthly at Aquaman Shrine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher as part of the Fire and Water podcast. On the mark, get set. We're riding on the internet. For porn. I got a fast connection so I don't have to wait. For porn. What? There's always some new site. For porn. I browse all day and night. For porn. It's like I'm surfing at the speed of light. For porn. <laughs> Internet porn, Roman orgy scenes. Internet porn, dominatrix queens. Internet porn, girl on girl on girl on girl on girl on guy on sheep. You're going surfing on the internet. Where is head going? And this episode of Where's Head Going? Uh, Brother Head is going to a site called http colon slash slash comicsalliance.com slash dc dash comics dash reboot dash history. Again, as usual, this link will be on my website, but again, it's comicsalliance.com slash DC Comics Reboot History, each word there broken up with dashes. 
Uh, it's an interesting article. I've read part of it. Got busy. Haven't finished reading. I need to finish reading it. But it, I'm liking it so far. And it talks about DC Comics and its very history. Try that again. It talks about DC Comics and its history of so its various reboots. Um, again, look, this is an older story. It came out before the New 52. This was a lead up to the reboot for the New 52. Uh, but I just recently found it and started reading it. Again, it was a great, great story so far. I like to say it covers DC Comics from the beginning and all the various reboots and whatever they've had, uh, retcons and all little things. Anyways, check it out. It's a great little article. If you like DC Comics, if you like the, the reboots, if you like, if you like any of that, check it out. It's definitely worth your time reading. Uh, but that's where Head's going today. And guess what, kids? We're at the end of the episode. Um, for Head's final thoughts, if again, if you want to record a message, you can send it to me at head at headspeaks.com. I will play that on the air. Definitely send me an email. Leave me feedback. Um, there's no heads or talking head this time because, well, none of you fools have emailed me. Send me an email. Let me know what you think. Am I talking to myself here? I'm curious what you guys think about my show. Uh, the only way I can make this better is if you guys let me know. Uh, a couple things under Head's final thoughts before we wrap up, though. Uh, coming, hopefully, I'm going to release up this episode, uh, hopefully tonight, Friday, May the 15th. Hopefully it'll go up. I'm hoping this next week, uh, by Tuesday or Wednesday, around the time of the season finale of Flash, I will have my next episode up. I know you guys, what? No way. It's usually like a month, month and a half for each episode's up. Shut up. I don't care. No. Um, I'm hoping to have this next episode up. This next episode, episode 11, is a part of a, uh, a podcast, multi-podcast alliance. Uh, it's entitled Conway's Corner Podcasting Crossover. Um, for more information on that, stay tuned. Again, next episode, I'll go into more detail, in fact. Next episode of the... Uh, Head Speaks, and also the next episode I release of Task Force X will also be a part of the Conway crossover. And before you check out my next episode, uh, currently they've got released episode 125 of the Fire and Water podcast. I believe that's actually the first official crossover ep uh, episode. It's entitled Jerry Conway Interview on Creator Quality. Um, again, if you want to listen to that, check it out. Uh, great interview with Jerry Conway. But definitely uh, be back here next episode, which hopefully will be within the next week. And also, finally, for the uh, end song this episode, we're going to be playing a song by Miss Paula Abdul. It released November the 28th, 1989, about a year after this comic came out, actually. The song is entitled Opposites Attract, sung by Paula Abdul. Uh, let me see, I'm just looking here, sorry. It was uh, by Paula Abdul and the Wild Pair on her album Forever Your Girl. Why am I playing this song with this episode? Well, <coughs> What's wrong with a singing, dancing cat? That's what I always say. Anyways, thanks for listening, guys. Stay tuned after the credits for Opposites Attract, 
by the beautiful Miss Paula Abdul. Talk to you guys next episode. Peace out. What a blast, kid. We sure had good fun while it lasted. Hung out with friends, hit the skin. Next week we're gonna do it again. Thank you for listening to another great episode of Head Speaks. Be sure to look for me on the web. I can be found rambling on my Task Force X headcast, where I cover all the appearances of the Ostringer Suicide Squad and Kupperberg's Checkmate comic books from the late 80s, early 90s. Both Head Speaks and Task Force X can be found on iTunes and over there on Stitcher Radio. My home on the Intertubes is my official website, headspeaks.com. H-E-A-D-S-P-E-A-K-S dot C-O-M. Links to my blog, which contain follow-up information to this and every headcast can be found there. I'm also over on Facebook at Head Speaks, the community, not the page. That's somebody else. On Google+, look for Head Speaks. Please feel free to email me your bitches, moans, and gripes to headspeaks at headspeaks.com. Also, feel free to email any compliments you have also. And if you want to be heard on Head Speaks, you can go ahead and record a message, and you can send it to me at head at headspeaks.com, and I'll play it on the air. Be sure to join us here next time for another fun-filled headcast from your friendly neighborhood brotherhead. And hey, be sure to tell a friend. Until next time, I'll see you in the funny pages. On the rap, so mic it. Here's a little story, and you're sure to like it. Swift and sly, and I'm playing it cool with my homegirl, Paula. Baby, since we never, ever
for this trust I'm like a minus, she's like a plus One going up, one coming down But we seem to land on common ground If things go wrong, we make corrections To keep things moving in the right direction Try to fight it, but I'm telling you, Jack It's useless, opposites attract Just a natural fact We come together 